Fear can be a good thing. We need it to keep us from doing things that do harm to us. But fear can be an awful, awful taskmaster. I'm not talking about the sudden fear, the startle that happens when something unexpected, a surprise. I'm talking about that fear that settles in like a fog and won't leave. It's just there. As we know just lurking ahead something awful could happen or we're afraid of something that we believe we're going to have to face and it's there. It won't go away. It lays into our mind and it won't leave us alone. That type of fear is an awful, awful taskmaster. You may recall some of the fears you had as a child. And when you look back, you realize they really weren't that warranted. But they were so real to you when you were a child. I was afraid of storms. Now, I recognize we need to be respectful of storms and take proper precautions. But I, I used to think as a child that storms actually thought. And they would gather somewhere out, out in the sky and they would make decisions as to whose home they would destroy. And it would always be the home if the children weren't asleep. Yeah, that's hard to fall asleep when you have that kind of stress on you. And then I was afraid of Santa Claus because he wouldn't come unless you were asleep. You see, I've got sleep disorders. That's a lot of stress on you. I mean, you want Christmas, but you got to be asleep. And if you can't get to sleep, he's going on by. I had that fear. And then my older cousins taught me to be afraid of the man in the moon. I don't know why, but I was afraid of him too. These were real to me back then. But when I look back on them, I realize I didn't have cause to be afraid. And you know... <clears throat> I suspect when we come to the end of our lives, if we are lying on our deathbed and we know that time is ebbing away and our family has gathered around us and they're saying their goodbyes and we're saying what we want to say to them, if we are cognizant at that time, I'm pretty confident we could look back over our lives and say, you know, I probably just worried too much. I probably just had too much fear. And so today, I want to help you to understand that knowing God's power to save and knowing God's power over the grave delivers us from a life that is driven by fear. And we're going to study that in our series, Moving Forward Together. We're going to look at the church. And we're going to look at some of the experiences of the church leaders and how they faced fear. And we're going to look at all that in the context of the church. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We, we're going to begin in verse 55. 
Two words, but he. Well, it is Stephen we're talking about. Stephen, as you recall, was one of the seven that we identified last week. One of the seven that was appointed by the apostles to serve the church. Stephen had been preaching, and he was arrested. And this is his trial. It says, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This man, when he was on trial, he's about to be killed and he knows that, he can sense it, he can tell what is happening in the minds and hearts of the people who are trying him. God gives him a vision, and in the vision he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now that's significant, because everywhere else Jesus is pictured as sitting next to the right hand of God. This man, Stephen, is making a stand for God, and God is making a stand for him. It is a powerful picture that when we face these situations, we do not face them alone. And God knows what is going on, and God is with us through the process. So Stephen declares, I see him standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stop, stop their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen. And as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How could a man have so much peace? in those circumstances. Could you face death that way, that unemotionally? Could you have that danger before you and not be driven by fear? Stephen was a normal human being. Stephen had the ups and downs that all of us do. Yet, in this extreme situation, he was able to be filled with peace to the point that it will even say in here that he radiated in his face like the face of an angel. God is close to those who take a stand for him. It always works that way. Well, let's read some more. Let's go to Acts chapter 12 as the church is now becoming a hated object among the Jews and we read in chapter 12, verse 1, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Do you remember last week we talked about James and John? They came up to Jesus and said, We want to ask you to do something for us. And Jesus said, Well, what do you want? And they said, well, when you come into your kingdom, let one of us sit on the right hand and one of us sit on the left hand. And Jesus asked them a question. He said, are you able to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? And they both said yes. And Jesus, knowing all things, 
looked at them and said, yes, you are able and you will. And James did in this story. He drank the cup. He was killed and he died. And Herod saw that it pleased the Jews. We read in verse 3, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And we're going to study that next week. But Peter is delivered. God miraculously delivers Peter from that prison. But I want to show you what God does to Herod. And some of you might say, well, that's not politically correct. So what? It was just. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Those are two towns. But they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So Herod is upset with these two communities. The two communities get a hold of somebody in his court. They say, hey, can you have King Herod come down and talk to us? We are sorry that we've offended him because they're recognizing, hey, they're being cut off from some food and other supplies that they need. And so they invite him to come. And verse 18, it says, then as soon as it was day, no, I'm sorry, I read the wrong verse. And the, verse 21, so on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. So he preaches. How many of you have ever heard a politician preach a good uh, message? Not too often. That's why they're noteworthy in history when it happens. All the blathering they do when they finally do something good, it's recorded in history. There are not a lot of great speeches recorded in history. So he's got one going on, and the people kept shouting, Oh, the voice of a God and not of a man! Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he had not given glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Listen, I don't want to get too excited about that, even though I am, because I like the idea that he was punished quickly for what he did. A lot of people, it won't happen that way. It'll happen later. But God does not overlook injustice. He'll take care of it. But here's what I want you to notice. God knows everything that goes on, and sometimes he steps in and takes care of things. Other times he lets things happen. But either way, he is always with the people who are going through it. He is always with them. Now, you've heard of the Apostle Paul, and you've heard of his great adventures, but I want to show you what he suffered in the cause of serving Jesus. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
We come to verse 23. For they are ministers of Christ. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, and deaths more often. And we're going to read those in just a moment. But I want to ask you a question. Let's be very logical here. There are people today who accept the historical Jesus. In other words, they know, okay, history does teach the existence of a man named Jesus. But they deny his miracles. They deny the idea that he was the Son of God. And they deny the idea that he resurrected from the dead. In fact, they accept this lame idea that early in the morning on Sunday, the apostles snuck past the Roman soldiers, opened the tomb, and took the body out, rolled the tomb back, and snuck away, dragging this body from the Roman soldiers. And, and so that when there was an empty grave, that's all it was, was an empty grave, but you still had a dead Jesus. That's what some people teach. But let's just be practical here. So far, Stephen has died. So far, James has died. Peter has been arrested. All kinds of folks are being persecuted. Why, if indeed it is a lie, why would those apostles be willing to give their lives for a lie? If Jesus was not alive, it makes no sense at all for them to be willing to die. But if indeed Jesus was alive, and Jesus had conquered the grave, and Jesus had demonstrated himself to them, then they're saying to themselves, the greatest fear man has is the fear of death. That's why we're born with this natural desire towards self-protection. If the greatest fear is taken care of, then all the other ones have been taken care of as well. He conquered death, and they were willing to die for that. You won't do that for a lie. You'll do that for what is real. And to them, it was very real. So we find Paul talking about his experience. And he says in verse 24, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. You do the math, that's 39 times, but it doesn't actually mean that. It means one, one stripe more and the person dies. They were so accustomed to lashing people, whipping them, that they knew the human body well enough that they wanted to give the most amount of torture possible, keep the body alive, and then when they recover, do it again. And so 39 times doesn't mean literally 39 times. It means he was to the point, one lash more, he would have died. That happened to him five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now these rods are four or five feet high and long, and they're very stiff. And you would be naked, and they would go up and down your back, and then up and down the front of your body. They would pummel you. This happened to him three times. 
Once I was stoned, and of course the only reason they stopped stoning him is they thought he was dead. And when everybody went away, he crawled out from under the rubble and went on to preach the gospel. Three times he was shipwrecked, a night and a day, he's been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness besides the other things what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches why would he do that why bother what would motivate these people to be strong in the Lord what would cause them to be able to overcome their fears are you thinking none of them were afraid ever? Of course they were. They were human beings. But they found something, and this is what God wants us to find. It is described for us in 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 1. I asked a question during the second service. How many of you have ever been a passenger in a car when someone was driving and that was scaring you to death. You have. You're not getting back in the car with them again, are you? No way. One person came up to me and said, they'll never be in a car with someone else driving. Only one time did they, would, would they allow it after this happened. Going down the freeway 75 miles an hour, the person who was driving, all they did was roll their window down a little bit and toss a straw out the window. Just so happened, the minute or the second they were doing that, the road took a turn to the right. 75 miles an hour, they kept going straight. The car turned over four or five times, and he's lucky to be alive. He told me the only other time since then he's allowed someone to drive the car is when he had kidney stones so bad he let his wife drive and said, I don't care if we get a wreck, I'm dying anyways. <laughs> so you know the fear of being in a vehicle with somebody driving that's not doing well. Well, what would your life be like if fear was driving it? Fear is not our friend. Can be in some circumstances, but mostly it is not. As we're going to read here, fear does not come from God. We need a different driver. We need different influence upon our mind and upon our heart and in the direction of our life. Let's read about it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. If we have a spirit of fear, who gave it to us? It did not come from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me just reverse those thoughts. If I am overcome by a spirit of fear, I will be powerless. If I am overcome by a spirit of fear, I will not be able to love. I will be so consumed with my own self, I cannot love. 
If I am overcome by a spirit of fear, I will not have a sound mind. You will not be able to reason with me. You will not be able to show me cause and effect. My mind won't grasp it. I'm running on emotions and I'm out of control. Fear is an awful, awful taskmaster. And being driven by fear is what God says He wants to stop in our lives. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but power. Power and love and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Whoa! He has saved us. He has called us. A holy calling. And not according to our works. We had nothing to offer him. Nothing to offer him. But all this was determined. All this was planned before time began. I love that song. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. But folks, it goes a lot farther ahead than that. Before time began, God knew you. Before time began, God planned your salvation. Before time began, God wanted to give you power. Before time began, God wanted to give you strength and courage and hope and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Before time began, God planned you, planned your life, and planned for you to live with Him throughout eternity. All that was before time began. We serve a powerful God. A powerful God. The devil wants you not to see that powerful God. Let's pretend this is a mirror. One of the devil's favorite tools. Hold it up. When I look into it, what do I see? Me. And when I study me, there's nothing encouraging there. Nothing. So, in my fear, I look at me, I look at the potential pain, I look at my failures that have brought me to this point, it's all about me, and it's pretty hopeless. And so God says, no, put the mirror down and look at Him. There is no problem we will ever face that God doesn't have 10,000 solutions to it. Maybe 10 million. We will never be in a circumstance that is so awful God can't be there and help us and get us through it. These men knew that. But how did they know that? Verse 10. It continues, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. All this came clear to them in Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This was done. 
by Christ. And we live in the hope of what has been done by Christ. Unfortunately, we've been poisoned by the do. We need to do this and we need to do that and we ought to do this and we ought to do that. Folks, God is screaming from heaven, forget the do and rejoice in the done. It's in Christ that we have this victory. It's in Christ that death was abolished. It's in Christ that life and immortality are brought to light. It is in Christ that we find our strength and we find our hope. And it goes on, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Why? He goes on to say, I'm not ashamed. And here's why. For I know whom I have believed. I know him. He's alive. He lives in my heart. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. He is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Paul is saying there is a God in heaven and I know him. And that God in heaven is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing. He is everything we ever need. I know him. And I know whom I have believed. And I know he is able. You know, if you forget everything that was said today except those three words, that's enough to carry you. He is able. Say that with me. He is able. Again, He is able. Our God is able. And there is an enemy of our souls that does not want you to realize that. Does not want you to experience it. Or if you have experienced it, he wants to encroach into your sight so you can't see it. These men saw it. And they were willing to suffer. Did not matter to them. For they knew whom they believed and knew that he was able to keep what they had committed to him until that day. Let me repeat. Knowing God's power to save and knowing God's power over the grave delivers us from a life driven by fear. Let's go back through your week. Monday, you got up. What did you face? You faced life. Sometime this last week, you faced things that brought fear to you. Fear of failure. Fear of looking like a fool. Fear on many levels. Fear with many faces. It all came. They were there. That's the way it's going to be while we live. That's the way it will be. But many of you experienced something else right alongside it. And that was the deliverance of God. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, I didn't do that. I let fear drive. I let fear drive. Let's make a promise today. 
the promise is this. We can't stop fear from coming in our lives, but we can stop fear from being the driving force of our lives. And we can let God drive our life for us. And we will know He is able. So let me ask you, is there anyone here who would like to say to the Lord, Lord, I want you to drive my life. I do not want to be driven by fear. If you would like to say that to the Lord, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, thank you that our lives don't have to be driven by fear. Thank you that you're willing to drive them for us. Teach us all to give that area of our life to you and to fully and truly believe that you are able. We ask and pray in Jesus' name.